You know, it's funny how many memories you connect with a place. I always thought if I ever came back here, everything would be all changed. No, nothing recognizable. Dead. It's just as if, as if I left yesterday. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room if you dare. And welcome to another episode of Strange Highways. I'm Paul. And I'm Kevin. And we hope that you guys uh, survived the 16 millimeter shrine and walked out of whatever you were watching to come watch this episode with us. Um, yep. And we got a good one this week. We do. We do. This one's, uh, I, I'm conflicted about this one because there's a lot of good and there's also, I wonder, uh, like, I'll just say it right now, a lot of people hold this up as like one of the best episodes of the Twilight Zone ever. Um, I don't know about that. So yeah, 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 it's still one of the better ones, and uh, it, yeah, but yeah, there are some problems with it for sure, and uh, some of the problems Rod Serling actually addressed. So I'm sure we'll get into some of that in a bit. Oh, so you have okay? I'm so excited you have information I don't have. So this will be fun. Oh, um, good. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, today's uh, destination, so to speak, is uh, walking distance. Uh, air date October 30th, 1959, day before Halloween. So that seems very appropriate for the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and it was the the release date of the Wasp Woman. Oh, nice. nice little sci-fi horror film. I was trying to find more movie stuff, and again, right now we're still stuck in the rut of uh, Mac the Knife being the number one song, Pillow Talk being the number one movie. Yeah, um, I think we got two more episodes <laughs> of Mac the Knife, and like, then is it changes, really that and good? then comes back. Is it really that good of a song, though? I mean, <laughs> was there like only four songs out in the world at the time? It's, it feels really, really odd to yeah, be that popular. Yeah, I think popular. in like three weeks from now, we're going to get another song, but then it goes back to Mac the Knife for two more weeks. Wow. Yeah, um, so yeah, one day, one day we'll get away from, uh, from Mac <laughs> the Knife. So I decided to look, I was trying to find, because I always try to find something odd about the, the day, and I couldn't find anything of, of other than, I'm glad that you found that, that movie release. Um, so I dug a little deeper, I was trying to figure out what was the counter-programming on the other networks, just to kind of see what was like airing that night. And I, and I totally forgot, because like, I'm an idiot, that there was only three networks on the air at the time, so there really wasn't much. Um, but this was a Friday night at 10, 10 p.m. with a half-hour show. Nowadays, that's that's a really odd time slot, yeah. but for some reason, that was like a good time for this. There was a show on uh, ABC at the time called The Detectives. They only ran a couple seasons. I read a little bit about that. Uh, Adam West was in that for like a second, so oh. there wasn't a lot of competition. So I'm starting to see why The Twilight Zone got really popular because there wasn't a whole lot else out there at the time. Yeah, so, um, and then also too, I found out that um, nine to ten on CBS before The Twilight Zone was the Westinghouse Desilu Playhouse. So that makes sense why Time Element appeared there before the Twilight Zone started airing. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. 
So anyway, that's that's kind of useless history, but I tried to find something, and that's no, not every week, not every week can be Weird Al and Sam Raimi. So all right, then. I know that was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we'll go into some of the cast and crew then. Uh, this episode was directed by Robert Stevens, who directed the pilot. Where is everybody? Yes, which I thought is interesting because this is kind of a nice little companion piece to that episode. And there are some um, very uh, similar shots. You know, and uh, and usage of imagery, and so that I think that's really interesting. Yeah, a lot of those uh, crooked camera angles are coming back. Yeah, and mirrors. So yes, yeah, yeah. and a similar soda shop. That's true. Yeah, now that I think about it, you're right. I was yeah, wondering the malt I, shop for a, for a second. I was like, is it the same one? It's like it's not, but it's close. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Also written by Rod Serling, as usual for the past couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> that guy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he'll be coming up a lot. Um, the music for this episode is Bernard, Bernard Herman, which I read up a little bit on the music on this. Um, this is, in fact, Bernard Herman's first original score for Twilight Zone. Okay. So all the episodes leading up to now was stock music that he conducted and wrote. Okay. So this is the first episode that actually had music written for the episode exclusively and this was done as a 19 minute piece that ran through the episode it's just one piece that makes sense like i yeah. remember uh, when we were trying to do some research to get the show off the ground i ended up listening to like you know just like find it on youtube and you're right that was i was curious as to why those videos were as long as they were but that makes sense now that it's almost an entire episode length of music yeah i would assume he would just watch it and write the music as it's going you know um but yeah the music in this episode is beautiful it is and and since the episode itself feels like a one-man play that makes sense that the scoring would kind of follow the whims of him you know like that yeah Uh, yeah yeah. it's a really beautiful uh kind of melancholic it's it's wonderful piece of music um yeah and then the cast we got gig young playing martin sloan (laughs) mr young here We're we're gonna have some words about him yeah yeah so this is his only twilight zone episode um I, I mean, he was in so much stuff. I just wrote down a few things that were interesting to me. He was in uh, Sam Peckinpah's Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, which is a really neat movie. Um, and then his last movie was Game of Death with Bruce Lee. Yeah, I saw that, and that was released like a couple years after his death. Um, so, Gig Martin, uh, also, he won an Oscar for a film called They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Which, I, I'm sure I've heard that name before, but I didn't know what it was. I looked up the trailer for that movie, it looks messed up, not as in like Radio Violenta podcast that you do messed up, but uh, but as in like the context of the 1930s, like a dance off, like a dance marathon and just people pushing themselves to try to win the small amount of money because this might be their shot at like making things better. And he's like the bandstand leader the entire time. And it looks like a pretty intense movie for what it was. And he won an Oscar for that. And hmm. the, tra- the trailer is weird. So I, it's like one of those ones I'm like, I don't remember this movie and. Um, I might have to go and watch it now because it's a really it's based on a true story, too. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, it's directed by Sidney Pollack. Yeah, that that might be pretty interesting. I don't know how I've never seen that. Right. It, it seems yeah. like it's kind of in your wheelhouse, like in the terms of like being like um, not a not a period piece, but kind of kind of, but also having a little bit of a darker edge to it. So, um, yeah, it looks interesting. He was pretty much known for being cast as like the sardonic kind of like um like smarmy smart alecky kind of drunk guy which unfortunately was kind of how he lived his life from what i've <laughs> what i've read 
Yeah, um, I, I think I saw that he uh, had five marriages. Yeah, and did you see who he got married to, though? Did you read up on the wives? Um, was one of them Elizabeth Montgomery? Yes. Yeah, yes. who is coming up in uh, an episode not too long from now. But she was part of Bewitched, so it makes me wonder if she's just like, listen... You know, she was wife number three out of out of five, right? So she's like, "Listen, I've wiggled my nose before and made, you know, I've made my husband change on, on demand." So I wonder if that makes me wonder if she's like, "Nope, wrinkle my nose, you're out the door, gig young." So yeah, um, started this drinking problem. Yeah. Those damn witches. <laughs> yeah. And then, then unfortunately, um, his his, uh, his life ended really abruptly uh, with wife number five, and that was a really sad sad uh murder suicide so not exactly cool. uh, and also did you know he was on blazing saddles for a day and got kicked off set because he was uh um going through like alcohol withdrawal so oh, this guy no. had a rough second half of his life even though he won an oscar like six years previous um so so yeah not that i wanted to go too much on about him but since this whole episode is more about the way things used to be and how things were so much better and not looking forward his life was kind of like it's just it was very weird that it's like they kind of cast the right guy for this. So um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. And then you got uh, Frank Overton who plays uh, Martin's father, Robert Sloan. Uh, he was in one other Twilight Zone episode again in tons of stuff. Uh, mostly known for uh, I think he was the sheriff in To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. Um, then there's Irene Tedrow who plays Mrs. Sloan. Uh, Martin's mother, uh, also in one other Twilight Zone episode and mostly TV work. I was digging through. She had like like two hundred some credits. Wow! And most of them were TV movies or just an episode here or there of like every show you can imagine. <laughs> um, now Michael Montgomery, no relation uh, to uh, Elizabeth, is young Marty Sloan, and he, he had like fifteen credits, but he was in an episode of Walker Texas Ranger. <laughs> So, nice. Second appearance of Chuck Norris on the Twilight Zone podcast here. <laughs> I like um, it. And then most interestingly, uh, Ron Howard is in this. Which, when I first watched this, I it was one of those things in the back of my mind. I'm like, is that him? But I was like, I don't know. And then when I, when I went back and read the, the credits after, I'm like, son of a gun, that's him. you know. And it was just like really weird to see. I know he's always been a kid actor, but that's like him being a really tiny kid actor. Yeah. You know? And then the other other person I want to point out too is uh the guy that was the drugstore attendant, Charlie. His name was Byron Folger. Uh he was known for playing storekeepers, hotel desk clerks, and morticians and professors. Like anybody that you need mustaches and glasses behind a counter, he was known for that guy. So <laughs> and the thing is like he kind of had like a little wormy type of like appearance, so he was very recognizable in the day. So all you had to do was show him and people would like laugh because they knew what kind of character he was. And so in the episode, whenever uh, the guy goes in the, 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 the malt shop and talks to him and says, hey, you know, you, you, um, you know, you like somebody I know. And he's like, I have that kind of face. It was a joke because he's always cast as that kind of person. So I oh, thought that was funny. really, really interesting. And then to find out that also he was not a wormy guy in real life and he was actually quite, uh, quite um, the, the manly man. He threatened to punch Errol Flynn for flirting with his wife at a party once. So I thought that was an awesome little fact I found out. So that was great. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I didn't even go that far into the cast. Cause I was like, yeah, I'm getting too far into this. <laughs> well, well that, and also but, he was in a movie in 1941 called dude cowboy, which I just thought that was the best name for a movie ever. So I just wanted to oh, mention man. that. So, but the fact that he threatened to punch Errol Flynn in the face, he's now my favorite actor of all time. 
Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> that that joke is kind of hysterical. Then a little inside joke of the time. It's it's a very it's like it's like a, a meta joke, and I didn't realize it. You know, it was kind of like I thought it was like a one off line, which you know it kind of it can be, but I didn't realize it was kind of their their winking towards his casting, and I thought that was uh, I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> so um so yeah there we go uh any any other casting stuff there wasn't a whole lot of cast like main cast in this yeah a lot of extras um this actually had the most amount of people i think we've seen in an episode so far yeah um this one it felt like the budget was up a lot in this the production value was uh up quite a bit from the past couple episodes yeah so um yeah especially towards the end when it gets a little bit more uh um theatric i I will definitely like we'll talk about that here in a second too so yeah um, i don't want to get too far ahead of myself no no no. um so yeah let's (laughs) just go ahead we'll let mr Sherling take it away and then we'll jump right back in martin sloan age 36 occupation vice president ad agency in charge of media this is not just a sunday drive for martin sloan he perhaps doesn't know it at the time but it's an exodus somewhere up the road He's looking for sanity. And somewhere up the road, he'll find something else. A lot of dust in his car. I don't know why he's driving around with a lot of dust in a convertible. But hey, that's, <laughs> it's like you you put the top up if you have that much dust in your car as you pull into the gas station. Yeah. Um, I, I have to say, Serling's narrations in this, there are three of them in this episode, and they are all beautiful. They like, are. I, yeah. I think I rewound the final narration in this like three times just because <laughs> it gave me goosebumps. I was like, man. <laughs> yeah, the middle like, one. So well written. The middle one threw me <laughs> off, and we'll talk about that more. Like, they're all well done because it's, it's Serling. He's he's so good at finding, like, the poetry in, in the, the, the simple things, right? Like, uh, yeah. Because, I mean, when it, this really gets down to it, this is an episode about going home again. I mean, it gets a little bit more twisty than that, but he finds... I, like and, and you brought it up last episode about how this makes what you got this one the sixteen millimeter shrine uh, time element um, those are these are all about going back and this is like the first couple episodes so like he has a real strong sense of of you know what came before and clearly this was in his head a lot as he was writing it yeah and I guess this was, this has been uh, referenced as being one of the most personal stories he ever wrote. Um, because I, I guess the town, uh, what's what's the name of the town? Uh, um, Homewood. Homewood, yeah, is loosely based off of Serling's hometown of Binghamton, New York. I guess like the whole town square with the carousel and the bandstand and everything is directly pulled from how his hometown looked. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so there, there's a lot of stuff. I guess, I guess this whole theme of uh, wanting to go back to your childhood and everything and kind of being disillusioned with adulthood is something that uh, Serling felt really, really strong about. Yeah. So looking at it, watching the episode, knowing that this is something real personal to him, it makes this even more, more kind of heartbreaking watching it, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. And, and I'll, I'll and the, we're not going to jump too far ahead, but yeah, the, the satisfaction that wasn't in the previous episode, I feel like there's a little bit more to this one in terms of the wrap up, but it's unnecessarily, you know, it's not necessarily a great thing. It's just that I feel like it was a little bit more like it was more organic than the last one that we watched. So, um, yeah, but yeah, we'll get, we'll get to that. Uh, so yeah, he pulls into town, well, near town and his uh, car full of dust and he's a jerk honking on his horn, getting the gas station attendants attention, which I thought it was funny that the attendants like, well, let me know when you're ready. Like just basically like 
when you stop honking, I'll talk to you. You know, I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, and then he uh, it just goes on about like the one thing about uh, Marty Sloan is that for the most part, until about three quarters of the way through the episode, I felt like he kept talking at everybody, but not listening to anybody. Yeah. And, and he was just going on about his life and went up to the cigarette machine and just kept talking and yabbering. And like the gas station attendant doesn't care, but he's just like just spouting everything that's going on with his life. And yeah. And then he sees the sign for, for Homewood. And uh, then that's when that really cool uh, shot of him looking in the mirror or well, him staring into the mirror of the cigarette machine, how it pushes in as he's walking away. That was a really cool shot. Yeah. That was, that was really good. Um, yeah, so he asks the gas station attendant, he's like, how far is it to uh, Homewood? He's like, ah, about a mile and a half. It's walking distance. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so he uh, he takes off walking towards Homewood. So um, I would say his first stop then, he goes into the malt shop that we were just talking about, or soda shop, whatever you want to call it. And uh, he goes up to the guy, and he's like, hey, you look familiar. In fact, this whole town seems like it hasn't changed since I was here 20, 25 years ago. <clears throat> um, so he's like, are you there? Well, yeah, I'm here. I was, okay. I was, I was, I was being so wrapped up in you telling me what happened. I was just listening. I, oh, okay. Your, <laughs> I your, thought I your lost sultry you tones. I, uh, could, please continue, Kevin. Tell me more. <laughs> okay. So he asked the guy, he's like, hey, I used to come here as a kid. I used to get these sodas for a dime with uh, three scoops of ice cream in it. And uh, the guy's like, yeah, we still make those. So he makes him the soda and gives it to him. And he's like, that'll be a dime, please. Like man, nobody sells soda for a dime anymore. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. How it's like we used to do that. And he's like, "Well, that's how much it costs." He's like, "Really?" I'm like, "You just told him what you wanted." Uh, but did you like? He also walked to the malt shop too and was smacking the hell out of those chairs as he's walking by the counter. Like he just kept turning all of them really loudly, and I'm like, <laughs> "You're kind of being a jerk to this place, you know?" And to that guy, and then and then he stubs out half a cigarette and the the thing and then he eats like half the milkshake it's like you're a really wasteful guy you know so that's that's neither here nor there but it's like he just he doesn't even have time to finish anything it feels like like it's always yeah. like you know got to go well you know I come from new york that's kind of the uh atmosphere there and uh might as well change his name to don draper considering the time frame and the stress he was under yeah so i mean uh, he's just kind of continuing where he left off in new york he hasn't really changed yet um so he's he's got his soda. He ends up leaving it. But he, while he's talking to the clerk behind the uh, at the soda shop, he's like, "Man, everything still looks the same. I can I can even imagine old man Wilson sweeping up on the steps over there and uh, gives him a buck and leaves." I love uh, I love how excited the clerk is to get that dollar. Yeah, it was like, like oh, "Wow, man, we could close up early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could buy that car I was wanting, you know, from that neighborhood. Oh. We'll talk to you later." So, of course, the clerk goes back and uh, knocks on the back door, and he's like, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> yeah. And you see that Mr. Wilson is, sure enough, alive. So that's so. that's my question for you to start before we dig like into all the revelations of being back in time. I think that was more than enough to let the audience know that this is what's going on. But yes. I feel like you are reminded about this like every four minutes and after that point. I just wonder if it's a matter of sophistication of an audience, like you don't, you, you have to remind them or it was just something that it was just like, like Sterling had to, he just kept coming back to that over and over again. I just didn't know if it felt like it was a little bit overkill towards the end. 
Yeah, I uh, I wrote in my notes. I was like, man, they really nail it, <laughs> nail it in that. Hey, he's back in time. But I mean, you got to do one more because um, Martin didn't see Mister Wilson, so that's, he doesn't know he's back in time yeah. yet. So we still need another shock to his system to get him to realize it. Um, yeah. So he goes and walks around town, and he runs into a kid playing marbles, which is Ron Howard. Um. Yeah, and and I, it, and I have that dialogue about his uh, th- about what happened as a kid with him playing marbles. I thought that like you when you talked about like oh did you just play marbles as a kid or whatever like I have that dialogue and it's uh, <laughs> it's just when I when I watched it the first time I had to laugh. I used to play marbles. We gave them special names, the steel kind, the big ball bearings we got off streetcars. We called those steelies. The clear kind that you could see through. We called those clearies. You still give them special names? Sure. Sure. Like, oh, we used that to call kid, marbles. That kid's like so original. Steelies and clearies. <laughs> it's like, oh, we used to call the big blue ones blueies. I don't know. It's just like, thanks. <laughs> thanks, old man. Like, that, like I don't know. I thought that was like, I guess creativity didn't happen back then either. But I just, I thought that was a funny bit of dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're kids. I can't say all of my stuffed animals and toys had uh, real original names when I was a child as that, well. So <laughs> that's fair. I mean, you're right. But then, like he, you know, he identifies the house across the street as being like his old house, and then little Ron Howard is like, you know, saying, you know, basically, little kid freaks out. I like how he just runs away immediately yeah. whenever well he's like yeah that's uh marty marty sloan lives there and he's like no i'm i'm marty sloan he's like no you're not he's like yeah I, I, let me show you my license and he goes and pulls license out and the kid's like i don't care he's already gone <laughs> yeah i just gone just like hightails and i'm like that kid's pretty smart you know what one day he'll direct apollo 13 um so <laughs> um so yeah he just like the kid just hightails it so then so then marty just goes walking around town like it's almost like he i don't know that whole bit where he's near the bandstand and then there's the kid up in the tree and the mom's trying to get the kid down and he's like saying the mom's saying you know bobby bobby and then he runs up and starts saying the kid's name too I, something about that felt just so weird like you're not you, you don't know these people but you're somehow like really happy to help them and you're grabbing their, their child out of a tree and you're talking to him by his well, first name. Well, how would the woman be able to get the kid out of the tree? You know, <laughs> <laughs> the man has to step in. <laughs> yeah. You're right. I think it it kind of speaks to his arrogance in this. No, you're right. You're right. It was just, it was just a weird, like, I don't know. It just felt like he was, it was again, it felt like he was walking through a stage play and he was excited to be there and was just like, it was almost like everything there was for his amusement, like for that one moment. And it felt really weird, you know, yeah. and he, he was getting really like, Oh, I used to remember the bandstand and, and all in cotton candy and, you know, clearies and steelies. He didn't say that, but you know, like he was just getting really just like, I don't know. It was just really a weird moment of like just super nostalgia. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then he tells the woman he's talking to the mother of the kid that was in the tree. He's like, uh, yeah, I carved my name right in the post of that bandstand over there. And he sees a kid doing that right where he carved his name. <laughs> so he runs over there and it takes him a long time to realize that it's him as a kid. Like, yeah. it's himself. I, I I wrote in my notes. I'm like, how did it take him so long? That and I, <laughs> I, I was actually discussing it with someone else today. And I was like, would you recognize yourself as a child if you ran into yourself? Yeah, I would. It's it was it's a strange question, but I've, I, I definitely feel like I would. Yeah, I would. I mean, it would be, 
I it's I remember what I look like I remember what I look like then. Like yeah, I I would easily know it was me, you know. Like <laughs> just be like, who's that little butterball sweatpants? Oh, that must be young Paul, you know. Like I would totally know <laughs> at a heartbeat. But but I also I took a screenshot of uh what the kid was carving into the the post. It's like I get that he was writing his name, but like the rest of it was like a jumbled mess of what was already there. It was very weird. I was just like, what? Like, can nobody carve in that town? But yeah, he's, well, go ahead. Maybe maybe everyone keeps coming back in time and carving their name over the last Marty carving. Oh, <laughs> so you think Homewood's like a time bubble and people just show up. I like it. It could be. <laughs> um, so he startles himself. And then much like the younger kid, younger Marty just takes off. And again, I don't blame him. You know, like I would hightail it out of there, too. So clearly he's not good around children, whether they're other kids or himself in the past. <laughs> you know, and, and this is, it's, I don't know, but that's his first clue of like, hey, maybe things aren't what I thought they were. Yeah. Wh- what? Running into yourself is right? enough of a clue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. So, if, if that wasn't enough to convince him that he's uh, somehow gone back in time, he decides to go back to his home and ring the doorbell and confront his parents. Yeah, which and yeah, go ahead. It, it does not end well. <laughs> like, it, I it, he goes so frantically trying to convince them that he's their son, and of course they just slam the door in his face and call him a lunatic. Right. So so far in my notes I had when the little kid ran away I just wrote smart kid, and then whenever young Marty ran away I wrote smart kid, and then when the parents slammed the door in his face I wrote smart parents. Like it's just very <laughs> yeah. like like this guy's a lunatic. Like why would you he like. It was very much it was very much a back to the future moment of like, oh my goodness, it's my parents and they're younger. Like you would you might call them mom or dad by accident, but your you know, your first instinct would be to like you can't they're not gonna know who you are. You know, like you gotta I don't know. I, I was hoping yeah. you gotta play it off like you don't know who they are and then maybe you could talk to them more. But nope. You just assume that they they just accept that this thirty six year old man is their son. And of course they kick him out of the house or not even let him in, you know? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then yeah, so yeah, there's clue number two. <laughs> yeah. That's clue number two there. He, yeah. he sees himself and his parents in a town that looks exactly the same as it did 25 years ago. But that isn't, so, that I isn't guess, what seals the deal clues. though. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the third clue that finally makes him be like, wait a second, maybe I'm back in time. And that's seeing the neighbor's kid's brand new car that he refers to as a brand new car as a brand new 1936. So it takes a car identification to be like, wait a second, I am back in time. It's just, <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah. But again, it's, it's, it's an earlier time. You know, audiences weren't, as you were saying, there's three channels. So, I mean, audiences weren't as sophisticated with this type of storytelling as we are now. Well, you know, people yeah. are creating timelines for time travel movies now. That's, <laughs> so that's, like, that's, that's fair. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're in the age where primers viewed as quaint, you know, uh, but, yeah. uh, but, but then you go to commercial break and you come back and then there's that middle narration where Sterling again has to tell you that this guy's back in time. And I just felt like, you know, like Rod, like I think we got it. Like I just felt like that was just a little, a little much. Even though it was wonderful narration, which also I wasn't expecting narration in the middle of the episode. I thought it was pretty, pretty straightforward. I didn't know like what the need was, you know, for him to set that up for the second half. Um, I don't know if we ever see. Like, does that happen in a lot of episodes? I usually think there's a first and end, not a middle bit of narration. Yeah, it probably does. I I can't remember. Um. But yeah, it was well written, but you're right. It is kind of just overkill at this point. Yeah. Uh, Because he said something like memory has become reality and all that. 
Um, again, beautifully written. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah, beautifully written. I just don't know if it was necessary. So, so again, yeah. tries to go talk to his parents because you know, of course, that worked out well. Um, and, but it's like here, here's the thing I will give this episode credit for is that it didn't go necessarily the way I was thinking with the parents. Um, like the dad, he was wary, and he even said, um, "Like there's, there's, I don't, I didn't get the whole speech, but I like that he kind of he." He didn't necessarily believe that Marty was his son, but he didn't want to be, you know, I don't know. He, there was a kindness to him. Like, basically, like, I want to protect my family. I don't know what's going on with you, but you need to go, you know, like type of thing, as opposed to like being belligerent or doing that thing where all these time travel movies or shows do where it is like you identify, then suddenly people want to start knowing what happens in the future. And he didn't take that route. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and even uh, he tries to show his parents his ID again, and uh, his mother slaps him and knocks his uh, whole wallet out of his hand, and he runs back to the carousel and uh, sees himself on the merry-go-round again. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's before we get to the speech I think you're talking about. Well, I, all, I had, yeah, all I had from that was this. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want you to get into trouble. But if you hang around here, there may be trouble. And I think that was like very, it was an interesting, like of of all the things I felt like were probably not tropes at the time or very like foreseeable, like, because we see things like obviously we're watching this years after that was, I was not expecting that reaction from the dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he sees himself on the merry go around after he runs back there and, uh, he jumps on to talk to himself and uh young marty ends up jumping off the carousel and hurting his leg possibly breaking it i would assume we don't really um, quite know <laughs> like it's just he just yeah you see him fall but off the, the way carousel. it affects yeah. but the way it uh, affects martin i i have to assume it was a break or something yeah um and that carousel so yeah, shot ba- yeah go ahead i'm sorry um he he basically just wanted to tell him that uh it's a wonderful time of his life and not to waste any of it um <laughs> Which is like you're stalking, you're stalking, (laughs) (laughs) you're stalking this kid, and it's like you scare him off the carousel, and he hurts himself. And I, I have that bit of dialogue, like because he ends up saying it again later, and it's it's much cleaner. But just listening to him being like all sad, remorseful, while there's all this creaking in the background, is just an odd, odd moment. So I'll I'll play that real quick. Mark, I only wanted to tell you that this is a wonderful time of life for you. Don't let any of it go by without enjoying it. And don't let your future self knock you off a carousel and hurt your leg. That's really important to know. Um, but the carousel stuff See, was, he was interesting. He should have went back in time and then came back and tried to redo it as a third Marty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he comes back like with a hat on. He's like, no, you screwed it all up. This is what needs to happen. Um, and both of them break their legs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he breaks the other leg, and then suddenly none of them can walk. Um, but the carousel stuff was really was was beautiful. Uh, the Dutch angle stuff that was showing up with the camera being tilted as he went towards the carousel, and then being on the carousel itself. There's a shot up inside the carousel as he's walking around trying to get to his younger self. I don't know how they got the camera up there to do that because these cameras weren't small. Like they, you know, you couldn't just move those at will. Like you had to have. You know, you had to have some forethought and some setup time, and it was a very yeah, creepy. It was, cool. it was really I I don't know how they did it. Um, yeah, it was kind of disorienting too. Absolutely, which, uh, yeah, works out great with him falling off and breaking his leg or whatever happened. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so uh, 
Then his father comes and meets him there. And this is the speech I thought you were getting to before. Oh, um, I have a little bit of this, too. I don't have all of it, but I have a little bit. Yeah, this was a wonderful monologue Yeah, so I had, his father. I, basically, he was just trying to, because the dad believes him now. And, and this, again, this goes back to, like, I was waiting for him. I was waiting for either Marty or his dad to somehow trip up and say something about the future. But like it almost it, it was interesting that he was telling him like you need to go because you had this summer once you can't come back and take it from this kid because he needs to have it too, and I was like that's such a wonderful idea that it's like you may have already done this once and I don't care but this is my kid and he needs to have this summer that was such a like that was beautiful like I, this, I, yeah. the way he put it together yeah and then uh, the way he uh, he's like and you must know other things too. And I thought he was going to ask him questions about the future, and he just leaves it alone. Yeah. I was like, man, this is that's not what I thought was about to happen. Like, and it's actually like the almost the most elegant solution that I have seen in all the time travel stuff that you, know, you just happen to see, whatever, that it solves the paradox problem without even acknowledging it. Because yeah. all of this could have actually happened, even though, you know, you don't know about the limp. Like, you know, clearly that is something that, you know, this is the first time through, but you just you don't know like it's very like he he could have been visited by his future self that summer that one time and he doesn't remember it you know and the dad was keeping such a mind about it to be like okay well this happens you need to go and my son needs to have a summer and that wouldn't affect anything and i thought that yeah. was really i mean really smart like you didn't he didn't overcomplicate it yeah um yeah so uh, but then but martin himself is very he realizes this and he wanted to have the things the way they used to be. And, uh, and he kept talking about all the past stuff. And I have the one bit that his dad said to him that I thought was really, I thought this was really interesting. Maybe when you go back, Martin, you'll find that there are merry-go-rounds and band concerts where you are. Maybe you haven't been looking in the right place. You've been looking behind you, Martin. Try looking ahead. To the jukeboxes and the men's with, with the undershirts on and whatever else that, uh, <laughs> um, what, what's her name, uh, was upset about last week. Um, yeah, but. and uh, during that uh, little bit there from uh, Frank Overton, did you notice how much he moves his eyebrows when he performs? No, I didn't notice that. Oh my god, go back and rewatch it. His eyebrows are constantly moving. Oh, well, I like was, he's, I was watching he his just, eyes. I wasn't watching his eyebrows. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna have to send you the clip of that moment. <laughs> it's out of control. Like he's he's just moving them all over the place as he's speaking. It's so strange. That's weird. And I've watched this episode twice. You think I would have noticed something like weird like that? But I I didn't. I was yeah, more, it, yeah. Um, I watched it once and I had to rewind. I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really good moment because it's like you like he he was the heart of the story. Like in the sense of like he acknowledges what it is, and it's like you know if you came back here because you aren't happy. Um, with like, but basically saying, I bet you if you decide to look past all the stuff that you're doing as a grown up, like in all the things that you think are important, you'll still find joy. You'll still find fun, like where you're at and looking forward. And that's like, it's weird that like that, that message right now probably resonates even more than, um, than it did then because of how busy everyone is all the time doing things, you know? Yeah. And also, can you hear the sound of emergency vehicles running behind me? right now no okay there, there well, was some the, little kid must have broken their leg on there, <laughs> there was yeah. an ambulance it's like oh no there's a carousel that went down we gotta go save them and then there's future dad or future himself like i don't know i was just telling him to enjoy the summer in 2016 um anyway sorry that was that was weird yeah so 
I love after that whole monologue that his father gives, he uh, the merry-go-round starts right back up, and yes. he kind of jumps on and goes out of frame. That yes, I put that in my notes too. It was like he the ride starts yeah, up, but he moves forward. Yeah, it just it just felt like such an important shot. I had to write that down. Um, and, and also then from there I'm he sorry, goes go ahead. back to the soda shop. Yes, and he's not happy. <laughs> like those damn kids yeah, no. with their rock and roll music and their milkshakes that cost thirty five cents. He's just very unhappy yeah, so. with everything. Um, yeah, so Wilson's dead at this point. He asks the guy, whatever happened to old man Wilson? And he's informed that he's dead. And uh, you see that Martin now has a bad leg and he's limping. Yep. And I, I like the whole, like, did you get that during the war? And I, like, then my, my response would have been like, yeah, it was a cavalry charge. I would have just said something about horses and moved on. <laughs> but no, he's like, nope, I fell off a merry-go-round. It's like, that's, you know. That's something to admit to, I guess. I don't know. It's one of those things. I'd be like, oh, yeah, it was a war wound, and I'd, I would have moved on. But, uh, yeah, it's just he he is very, um, like, he's gr- he felt it's like he, like the wind was taken out of his sails, and he was sad, but it felt like a necessary sadness. Like, that's why I liked that ending where he literally did get to go home again and realize that isn't the solution to everything. Yeah. But, it, I, again, it's not like a, we were talking last episode how she kind of uh, deserved some sort of punishment uh this one he definitely got what he deserved and he learned that that was basically it he just learned how to deal with being an adult and uh the dangers of nostalgia and taking it too seriously yeah and and i know we talked about that last week a little bit i i feel like it's also really prevalent right now in like uh the current um election cycle how everybody keeps talking about things were better at a certain point and it's like are you are you hearkening back to because you're growing up and you didn't think too much like I don't know like there's something about the bubble that you live in when you're a kid you know versus yeah. like uh, versus like when you grow up and have some of that that knowledge stripped away like I I did a little bit of like looking into this um, and I know that the time that he went back to was 1936 uh, the Great Depression was running to about 39 and that's when World War II happened right so at that point he was growing up and then even though America was in war like the economy and everything just shot up. Right. So everything started moving forward and it was like, you know, the sky was the limit. So of course, I mean, I could see how a lot of people would be like, Oh, things were better than it's like, well, yeah. Cause we were building a, a lot of things and, and making a lot of money to go fight things overseas, you know? So of course the homestead and the homestead looked a lot more appealing, you know? So I feel like yeah. it was just, it was interesting how like getting out of the, the great depression, of course, right after that probably looks like a really good time to be alive. You know, and very simple. Yeah, for so, sure. Uh, there's your history lesson. Yeah, so, and yeah. I mean, it, it, there was so much industrial boom too into the fifties. I mean, like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it, I mean, even past that, that things started changing so rapidly from that point on that things did get busier and things felt like they were moving faster. You know, than previous uh, generations and everything before. Uh, and as we talked so about, I, yeah, and like we were in the middle of the starting the space race uh, when this episode aired. So of course, I mean, people are probably scared of the future you know and also like unsure where things were going so it was probably real easy to go back to that point you know and just think about like it's so much better if we didn't have to worry about all that stuff yeah <laughs> sorry i just but yeah I, no, i'm getting nostalgic for history i don't know if that even anyway like for i'm getting nostalgic <laughs> for for context so um was there anything yeah, else again, yeah well i was just gonna follow that up it's it's pretty simple uh thematically this is uh, just a cautionary tale of uh living in the past again yeah and uh i i really think uh that 
again, he gets off fairly easy, although it's a little depressing. Um, that I, I feel like it's it's a perfect ending to the story. No, I agree. Compared to last week, because last week I felt like she got off way too easy for how she was acting. <laughs> and, uh, uh, this week's episode that deals with a lot of the same themes, uh, he did learn his lesson, and uh, hopefully he went back and enjoyed his life. Well, yeah, and I feel like, and, and again, I know I'm really cynical when it comes to like people getting like what they deserve in terms of like a story satisfaction. Um, this one feels like the right tone because he didn't go back and like completely screw up his life. I mean, he has a lip now, but I mean, ultimately if he's in the same position he was before, like maybe he can't run full speed anymore, but he has to just get there at his own pace, which is maybe the whole point of the whole thing. Anyway, um, is that yeah. he doesn't have to catch That's a stay, great point. He doesn't have to stay like at the same, he doesn't, he have to keep running anymore, you know? Um, and I feel like that is you, you I don't know if you'd get that soft touch, and a story today, I feel like you'd go back and start messing everything up and then suddenly it'd be the butterfly effect. And then, you know, it'd be just be, you know, oh, no, you went back and you fell off a merry-go-round. Now your dad died in the war and like whatever. That would have been really, you know, something. I, don't <laughs> or, know. I mean, even 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 back to the future. I mean, you start disappearing, you know, in the yeah. photographs and you got to go save your own existence. Uh, that was really the start of that whole side of time travel. Um but yeah, this is a real eloquent time travel story. And I love how it exists kind of in this Twilight Zone world where uh, they don't give you a reason for why he went back in time. It's just that the universe wants him to learn something and sends him to the Twilight Zone, you know? Well, that and like he, <laughs> I, at the I beginning really he was running Twilight away. Zone, uh, <laughs> the whole like, yeah, oh, it's time I for you to like go. the yeah. Twilight Zone logic. Yeah. I mean, he was running from New York, right? The pressures of life. And also the Twilight Zone's like, you know what? you need to stop your dusty car and walk into this town right now. We're, we're going to accommodate you for a minute. You know, no creepy yeah. mannequins or creepy dolls. This, this one's, this one's going to be one of the nicer ones. Um, but it's nice because it doesn't, uh, time travel stories are always something that gets my mind going double time. And I start thinking of all these weird possibilities and it, it takes away from the movie sometimes or show story, whatever I'm reading, watching. Um, and by doing it that way, it really kind of turns your brain off to thinking of how it would actually work because yeah. it feels almost magical. Absolutely. And, this, and the scoring helps with that, too. Like the music. Yeah. You yeah, into it had this, a yeah. Real magical and beautiful and sad feel to the music. Absolutely. So uh, real quick, um, what what's your uh, favorite time travel stories? Like any like any favorite time travel movie uh, like uh, TV show, anything other than I know I mentioned uh, Primer already. I think Primer was pretty pretty solid. Um, love Terminator. That's a that's a go to. Yes. Um, Time Crimes is really interesting. Spanish film from a few years ago. I need to um, see that. I've heard I've heard people rave about it. I've not seen that. Yeah, again, it's a fairly simple time travel movie, but you can kind of look as deep or as little as you want into it, and. Uh, other than that, I would say Looper was really good recently. Oh, Looper's really good, and and one of my favorite TV shows of all time, Quantum Leap. I don't know. I just love that concept of, <laughs> you know, like something happened before, and I'm wanting to try to change that for the good. And I love. I, I just love Quantum Leap. But um, I like uh, Rick and Morty does some uh, good time travel stuff too. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, um, but uh, yeah, so to wrap this up real quick, because um, uh, this one's been running a little long because we talked about the life that was Gig Young. Uh, this one was voted at, on Time Life's like uh, 
They did a 50th anniversary celebration of Twilight Zone. This was number nine on their all-time favorite episodes. And a lot of people hold this up as like one of their, their favorites of all time. And this is my first time watching it. Um, and I feel like other than Gig's performance at the beginning where it was a little abrasive, and I get that that was the point, I feel like that and also the the constant shoveling it on that it was the past kind of dampened it a little for me. Yeah. Um, and I kind of teased that at the beginning, Rod Serling, when talking about this episode, said it wasn't one of his favorites. And uh, he actually cited a lot of those things as I think he uh, said that he thought that he meets his parents too early in the story. And he feels like um, he laid it on a little thick with some of the time <laughs> element stuff. <laughs> and uh, so he he said it's not one of his favorites, which I thought was really interesting. That's funny. I mean, well, I mean, you look at like a lot of popular media and culture, like movies, music, whatever. I'm sure if you went to an artist and said, hey, this is my favorite song you ever did. And they'd be like, yeah, I barely remember making that one. You know, I'm sure it's all about how it hits you. Right. So I like. Yeah. yeah. I've I've talked to directors and uh, like uh, most notably the Cannibal Holocaust director. And he was like, I didn't even know people like this movie. I stopped paying attention to it years ago. And all of a sudden I'm getting all these like convention requests and all these special edition Blu-rays are coming out. I didn't even think people liked it. That's funny. So yeah, that's a, so, um, that's interesting. And it certainly seemed like enough of a, he would own up to his, what he felt were his mistakes and let people know like, Hey, that worked, that didn't work. That's a very transparent way to be. And you don't find that in a lot of a lot of major creative people, like when they're that popular, you know, or that known for like that, like iconic, it's easy to write off in the sunset and be like, that's exactly what I was trying to do. You're welcome world. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, uh, but yeah, good on him. So, um, but yeah, so I mean, all of our problems with this episode are the exact problems that certainly <laughs> himself had with it. So <laughs> that's funny. Um, all right, so we'll get to our twist meter here real quick, and then we'll wrap it up. But I just want to mention uh, two cigarettes total, so double uh, of what we've seen. One cigarette machine. I don't think we're going to see too many of those. Um, so there, there's your there's your cigarette count for for the week, and then we'll just go we'll go to our twist meter. And what do you what do you give it, Kevin? I don't know. I kind of want to hear what you're giving it. I'm giving I've it. A, a- I'm giving it a two because um, uh, the whole the whole crux of it was not surprising the one thing that surprised me though was the dad's reaction and i've talked about that already that was i felt like that was more of a twist than the whole realization hey i'm home and i can't be here you know because i mean that was kind of i already, I already kind of knew that going back in time to where you grew up and seeing your younger self that was never going to end well like so <laughs> I, I wasn't surprised by any of that it's just the father's reaction of like you know, you had your summer, let him have his. That's, I like that. So not Yeah, like, it's unexpected. Yeah, so I'll give it a two because otherwise there really wasn't a big twist in this episode. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to agree with you. I mean, uh, if you count him going back in time a twist, which it was kind of <laughs> done to death in the episode, so it, there wasn't really one single revelation that made you really gasp or, uh, you know... Um, but yeah, I mean, it it didn't go where I thought it was going to go, and I, I'll just give it a two as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what else to say about it, really, because uh, there's not really a twist in this episode. And I don't think that's the point. You know, I mean, other than yeah. I think this is no. just one of those like character development ones where it's like, oh, okay, he came out the other end, and and we all learned something, as opposed to ha ha ha, you shouldn't do that. Which, yeah, there's no aha moment in the episode. 
Um, and it, again, nothing that I'm penalizing it for because it, it is a great episode. I know I, I feel like I kind of trashed it a little bit talking about how uh, <laughs> how overbearing some of the uh, themes were and everything. But it is it is a beautiful episode, and it, it, you do honestly feel kind of depressed after you're done. That's it's, it's a very melancholy episode. Um, I feel like you come away from liking it more than I did. I'm not saying I, I mean, I did like it, you know, I just, I feel like, um, like, like last week in terms of like concept, I like that more that appeals more to my sensibilities in terms of like, Oh, give me something weird. Like as opposed to something like heartfelt, but, but that also, I guess it depends upon my mood. Um, I like next week's episode I've not seen. I feel like this is going to be more in my wheelhouse of like, like, you know, twilight zone strangeness, you know, like, so I, that I'm looking forward to that one. Um, I don't know if you know what read about the next episode or, or not. Um, um, no, I know the title is, uh, escape clause. Yeah. And it deals with, like, I don't a, really a know what it's about and I don't think I've ever yeah. seen it. Yeah. It's, it's a hypochondriac that I guess he makes some kind of a deal and that's all I know. So it's going to, it feels like it's going to have one of those like, ha ha ha, you signed the dotted line, but didn't read this. And I'm, I'm excited for that. Cause I, I like those kind of, um, deals with the devil episodes. Cause some of those can be really fun. So I have a feeling that's what that's going to be. Um, yeah, it should be fun. But, uh, but yeah, yeah I, I just like, there's, there's a lot of difference in tone between a lot of these episodes and I can really appreciate that. Oh um, no, you're right. Yeah. There's different reasons to love every episode. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to say, oh, I didn't have robots or uh, three-eyed aliens. Screw it. Don't like it. I just, uh, <laughs> no, I, yeah. I, I know you're not trying to say that, but um, just kind of adding on. <laughs> just adding on to the, this is why Paul's wrong. No, I'm, I'm joking. No. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. I think that's going to do it. Um, like, if, Please let people know. I'll let you uh, handle the, the social media stuff here real quick, and then, um, and then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Find us on Facebook, Strange Highways. Um, talk. Uh, but any episodes on there, Paul posts a lot of really funny screenshots from the episodes. <laughs> We've had a few people post on there uh, talking about different Twilight Zone related things. Um, you can always email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the episodes. Uh, let us know if you hate the show, love the show, anything like that. And uh, is there anything I'm missing? Um, also, I know we recently got two five-star reviews on iTunes, so thank you to those that did that. And please, uh, if you've not done so, that would be helpful. Also, give us some, uh, you know, I mean, five stars if we deserve it. You know, like, you know, if you just say, hey, you know, Paul gave Walking Distance a two, I'm going to give the show a two. I mean, you could do that, I guess. Hey, well, you know. we're not rating the episode <laughs> with a rating. We're just rating the twist. That's so. true, yeah. <laughs> just because we gave it two out of five doesn't mean we hate the episode. Uh, but yeah, you could if you want to go on Stitcher as that. well. That would yeah, <laughs> it would just be helpful because the more people rate it, the the more often it will show up, and then maybe more people will enjoy this with us. So, uh, so yeah, we greatly appreciate that. Yep, and we're also on Stitcher as well. So if you're on the uh, Android platform, check us out on there. Yeah, and 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 hopefully this time around I'll have the complete episode uploaded as opposed to what happened last time where that was a fight for four days. Where yep, there's only, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> it's like what happened. It was like the the episode ended on, a, on a, like a cliffhanger and it wasn't meant to be. So that got fixed though. So um, yep. yeah, so that will do it for us this week. Uh, uh, have a safe week. Um, if you do go home, make sure it's the correct date and time. And if it's not, then don't go immediately f- trying to find your parents because that's not going to end well. Yeah, just go buy a ten cent soda. Thank you.